This is AgriPulse Open Mic, sponsored by NCIS, National Crop Insurance. With increasing commodity prices, higher price volatility, and rising input costs, America's farmers and ranchers are relying on crop insurance more now than ever before to provide individualized protection and to secure operating loans. Protecting 256 million acres of farmland and 350 commodities across the U.S., crop insurance is the primary safety net for many farmers, enabling them to supply our country with food and fiber year after year. Crop insurance, providing peace of mind now and for the next generation of agriculture. And now, AgriPulse Open Mic. So we're talking with Charlie Stenholm, who was a member of Congress, first elected in 1978. And tell us a little bit about when you were first elected and how you became a member of the Bull Weevil Coalition. Well, when I was first elected, uh, 1978, uh, came in in the second half of the Carter administration. And uh, then uh, President Reagan was elected. And we Democrats at that time controlled the House by about uh, 40 votes. Uh, Maybe it had been closer to 50 votes. And coming from the district that I came from, uh, if I would have just opposed President Reagan's, what he was trying to do because he was a Republican, I would have not gotten reelected the first time, much less run unopposed, which I did for five terms. But uh, And I wouldn't have voted for myself. The very idea that uh, you're going to oppose somebody because they got an R after their name, or flip it. If you're an R, you're going to oppose something because they got a D after their name, contrary to what the people that elected me believe. And so if the Reagan administration was going to pass anything, they had to have some Democratic support. So when the president reached out to uh, conservative Democrats and said, I'm going to need your help, uh, we took his hand and said, we, we're willing to work with you. Uh, we're not, we're not going to rubber stamp, but if we're going to disagree, then we will show you and we'll work for compromise, which we did. And, uh, you know, that managed to ir- irritate a lot in my party. On the ultra-left, we're just livid because a Democrat would work with a Republican. And the fact that we wouldn't go as far as some on the right irritated the heck out of the, the right. Uh, some of the Republicans, but we found some compromises that uh, moved the country forward. And then, you know, having the name Bow Weevil, having spent the biggest part of my life trying to eradicate the Bow Weevil <laughs> from the cotton patch, it was not a positive sign. Uh, and so we eventually uh, became the Conservative Democratic Forum. And the Conservative Democratic Forum then uh, continued until 1994 when the Republicans took over the House. And then we became the Blue Dogs, because at that time, we knew another significant change was happening. And that is a new majority uh, in the House. And therefore, if, uh, if we were just going to oppose Republicans' chairman, uh, and, uh, then we were going to have problems with our own people. And again, I wouldn't vote for myself if I was going to be that way. So we, we looked, we realized that... Uh, we were going to have to propose, if we were going to disagree with the Republicans, then we were going to have to offer a positive, different 
suggestion of how to go. And that's what became the Blue Dogs. Now, at one point in time, the Blue Dog Coalition had as many as 54 different members, and now they're almost an endangered species. <laughs> they're down in, in ranks to 15 or so. Um, tell us about the state of the Blue Dog Coalition now. Well, the kennel has been depleted. In fact, uh, the Blue Dog is almost an, a, uh, well, it is an endangered species, and it's almost eradicated. Uh, now and both parties, uh, the moderates, uh, the folks willing to uh, find compromise, have been defeated in both parties. And people often ask me, "Okay, Charlie, you you talk about uh, the Congress and the, our political system is broken. If you had one thing to do and one thing only, what would you do?" And I said, "The easiest question you can ask. We have to change the way we redistrict." You cannot continue to have redistricting to protect the incumbent and the party in power in a state because what, what you, when you do that, you get what we've got. The only way most Republicans can be defeated is in a primary. The most, the, the most way that a Democrat can be defeated is in a primary. And therefore, the polarization, the ultra-left in the Democratic Party is the controlling factor. The ultra-right in the Republican Party is the controlling factor. And there's no compromise between those. It's the folks in the middle that has always, in the history of our country, found a solution, uh, which compromise is not a four-letter word, never has been, should not be. Uh, but that's what's happened now. In fact, they're almost extinct. Let's talk a little bit about um, some comments that Secretary of Agriculture Tom Vilsack recently made about the relevance of rural America. We just came off of an election in which, if you look at the red-blue map, you see that most of the geography of the United States outside of the urban areas voted Republican, with the exception of a few pockets here and there. What does that say about the political relevance of rural America? Well, it says we're irrelevant in the political sense, and that shouldn't be a shock to anyone. We're st we still say we believe in majority rule, and the majority of people do not live in rural America. And it's, a ch it's affecting redistricting. It's affecting a lot. of. Now, that, that, I don't take that as a negative. It's a fact of life. Therefore, just as uh, we evolved with bow weevils and conservative Democrats and blue dogs, you've got to evolve with the times, and you've got to adjust. And that means that farm programs like we have had them are a thing of the past. They're gone. Subsidies are gone. Uh, how much money we're going to get out of the budget? Uh, what are we going to do with it? We've got to have more people that represent rural areas and our farm groups have got to start looking at the world as it is, not as we wished it were, and looking at the future and what what is needed to be done in the area of legislation that will further what we need done. And we're not quite there yet. Uh, let's use the example of research, uh, for example. You, know, you look at the dollars being spent on ag research versus National Science Foundation, worth of medical, defense. Their numbers are going up. Ours are going down. Well, I'm biased in this, but I think there are three absolutely essential things for this country's future. One is food. Two is energy. And three is water. And we had better be spending much more time on the research of how we're going to provide the food 
and the change that's going to be required, how we're going to protect our water and the things that need to be done. And where you know the answer already, you do it. But where you don't, you better fund the research to find the answers to that. And then in energy. And we're, uh, we're evolving. Uh, the, world, the world has never been, you know, just always getting the right answers. Our political system, I think it was Winston Churchill that says, America uh, tends to do the right thing after they've tried everything else, something along <laughs> that line. And that's kind of the way I look at our political process. But that means uh, that folks, uh, just like uh, the Farm Foundation, it, it means that uh, you've got to have folks coming together and thinking outside the box and deciding what is the future direction. And for rural America, I thought what the secretary said was right on target. I didn't like to hear it. There's a part of me that made the hair go up on the back of me. What are you talking about? But then you stop and look at it. He was right. And that means we've got to be challenged to meeting the challenges of the future, not living as much in the past. How much of that played a role in the inability of the House leadership to take up a new farm bill and get it on the floor, even after we passed it out of the House Ag Committee? Did that play a role? I don't think so. It played a role, I'm sure, but I don't think that was the significant thing. And I just think I was just dumbfounded that the leadership of the House would not take a farm bill to the floor and have it debated and work out the differences. Do it. But by the same token, I'm just dumbfounded that the Senate has not passed a budget in four years. And by the same token, it's incredible to me that the president, talking about economics, that the president did not take the Simpson-Bowles bill and say to the Congress, it was my commission, they did a good job, they put it out, I'm going to take it, send it to the floor of the House, y'all work out the differences, send me back a bill on our fiscal side that I can sign. He didn't do that. So we have had a an absence of leadership in the Congress and in the White House now for going on 12 years of moving us in a direction that uh, has not been helpful. So where do we go from here? Uh, I think it was Einstein who said that, uh, you know, the definition of insanity is uh, having all the same factors in place and expecting a different outcome. We've got the same president. We've got a Democratic majority in the Senate. We've got a Republican majority in the House. should we expect anything different in terms of this Congress? And well, you know, I'm still a farmer in real life, even though I've turned that over to my son now completely. But, uh, you know, that's the eternal optimist. Uh, you know, I was told, my eighth grade English teacher said once, and I've, well, I remembered this, the only thing in life you have to do is die. Everything else is optional. And uh, people say, well, you got to pay taxes. No, you don't. You can go to jail. I mean, you, there's options. So... You know, I think we're going to see the answer to your question play out over the next three months. I hope that Republicans will uh, not use the debt ceiling as a major uh, pry bar to get the spending cuts that we need to get. There's no question we've got to cut spending. No question. But it's got to be done not in a 10-year window. It's got to, we've got to start looking down the road to the entitlements. And we don't cut today. Cutting today is the wrong thing to do in many areas. But cutting over the next 10, 15, 20 years, we have to. When you consider that as you and I speak here today and whenever this plays the next time, every day 10,000 Americans turn age 65. 
So the Social Security system, the Medicare system, is gaining 10,000 new constituents every day for the next 19 years. It doesn't take a nuclear physicist to say, you could better change what you promised to the folks that are going to be retiring 19 years from now. You better change. It shouldn't be as controversial as it is. Here's what I hope happens that will, that will show a positive response to your question. Not use the debt ceiling, except increase the debt ceiling $200 billion, $300 billion, enough to get it three months, six months, but get dollar-for-dollar dollar spending reductions for dollar-for-dollar dollar increase in spending. And then we're going to have the fiscal cliff is back on sequestration on the trillion, $200 billion cuts. And if you need a trillion, $200 billion cuts, and we do, sequestration's not a bad option. It's going to create some pain, but uh, we're going to have pain no matter what we do. So it's much better if Congress would work its will and not have across-the-board cuts, but cut. That's the best option. We'll see if Congress does that or not. If they don't, then uh, sequestration kicks in. It's automatic. We've got our spending cuts. Not the best way to do it, but it's a way to do it. Then we've also got the continuing resolution, which continues to fund USDA, all of government. If you want to shut the government down because you haven't gotten the spending cuts or the changes in fiscal policy, that's the proper way to do it, not on the debt ceiling. Having the good faith and credit of the United States be subjected to what it would be subjected to in the world, not a good idea. may happen. If it does, that will be a negative answer to your question. We've also got nine more months to consider a farm bill, and a lot of folks have suggested that we've got one that's already been produced in the House and the Senate, and we'll just see a revisiting of the same package. You're suggesting perhaps we should rethink. Well, I think we're going to have to, because uh, if that had been done by uh, December the 31st, it would, it would hold. But uh, now there's going to be a budget this year. I mean, you're either going to get sequestration, which will cut agriculture and defense and everything else, or we're going to get a continuing resolution that cuts. Ideally, Congress passes a budget this year. The House passes its budget, which they've done for the last four years, and the Senate passes a budget, which they have not done at all in the last four years. Go to conference, work it out, and then tell the Ag Committee, here's how much money you have to spend. Now, you spend it the way you believe it ought to be spent. That's the way we've always done farm programs. That's what the Ag Committee has asked for again this year. Tell us how much. That's where the Senate you know, passed a bill, the House passed a bill, and $23 billion in cuts, which is no small amount, endeavor, and have said we could do even a little bit more. But it's got to be part of an overall budget package, or otherwise we look like fools in agriculture making cuts, and nobody else does. And the country goes on down our merry over the fiscal cliff. So uh, we've got to get a budget. Get a budget. That's why the Farm Bill, in my opinion, will be written this summer after they get a budget and the numbers, and it will fit. And it will uh, be Congress's best effort at what agriculture needs. And all of us that are interested in that policy will be weighing in and suggesting how to better spend whatever amount of money that we've got to spend and where it should be spent. AgriPulse publisher Sarah Wyatt 
speaking with former Texas Congressman Charles Stenholm. AgriPulse Open Mic is sponsored by NCIS, the crop insurance industry.